Welcome to What She Said on 105.9 The Region. I'm your host, Candace Sampson. Well, you made it. You made it through the first week of back to school, back to routine, and the return of pumpkin spice everything. So the only thing left to do now is kick up your feet and listen to today's show. We kick things off with Samantha Krishna Pillay from On Canada Project for a conversation about policing in Canada and what exactly it means when we talk about defunding the police. Spoiler, it doesn't mean chaos on the streets. Samantha joins me to share what it would look like to allocate funds differently so that everyone feels safe and protected. Now that school is back, I thought it would be a good time to connect with Dr. Prachi Sarvastava for a check-in. Specializing in education and global development, Prachi is a visiting professor at McGill University who looks at the education systems around the globe and has thoughts on how we can do better. It's mostly about TIFF this week with Ann Brody for Saturday Night at the Movies, and this week we take a look at the new documentary on the iconic David Bowie. The comedy drama I Love Movies about a high school cinephile who gets a job at a blockbuster knockoff in Brampton in the 1980s and Effort Deadly, which focuses largely on Tanya Takak's throat singing, but is intercut with the harsh and otherworldly environs of Nunavut where she grew up. Aging gracefully is so old school. Here at What She Said, we're all about living agelessly, a timely topic given news of late. Denise Chan from The Sacred Space joins me to discuss letting go of our aging hang-ups so we can live our life on our terms. In today's age, where our senses are constantly under assault by screens everywhere we look, there is nothing quite so therapeutic as curling up with a good book that doesn't keep interrupting you with notifications and attention stealers. Susan Jasper from TellingTales.org joins me to discuss how her festival and online space is connecting children and families with authors and illustrators to open minds and hearts for everyone. Finally, K-Victoria, R&B pop soul sensation, has the music industry sitting up and paying attention, and after today's show, you will be too. She joins me to share the inspiration behind her newly released single, Visions, When I Think of You. It's another full week at What She Said, with interviews that empower, educate, and entertain. So let's jump in right now on 105.9 The Region. Canada is not equitable and needs to be addressed. In order for that to happen, though, we need to set our emotions aside, dial down the temperature on this important conversation, and bring in the data and the facts. Samantha Krishnapillay is founder of On Canada Project, which aims to bridge information gaps on today's big issues by inviting people into critical conversations about the future of our country and the world. In the second of five interviews with what she said, we take a closer look at policing today. Welcome back to the show, Samantha. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here again. Okay, so let's set up the conversation around policing in Canada. Yeah, so I think, and I I know some people um, don't like starting 
it, with history, but I don't know how else to start something. We like we need the context. So I think we have to start with the fact that slavery existed in Canada too. Um, in fact, Canada enslaved black people for just as long as America, subtract 30 years. Um, so that like moral high ground we have as Canadians is just based on 30 years, which is like my lifetime. It's not that it's not that long. Um, what's important to understand, though, is that like we as a country failed black folk then and continue to fail them today. We have not acknowledged Canada's history of enslavement. We have not offered an apology or any form of reparations. So it makes sense that we're still grappling with understanding how deeply ingrained that anti-black racism is in our country. Like our country is quite literally built on it. So when we start to talk about the police system and why it doesn't equitably serve and protect all of us, we have to start with the fact that like the origins of this country are rooted in such systemic inequities and in such like white supremacy, but it doesn't have to stay that way. Um, and we get to change that today and, and every decision we make going forward. Um, so I think, yeah, I think that's a really important place to start is understanding the history. Sure. And I think a lot of Canadians, you know, myself included, we believe the story that we were somehow exceptional in world history. And it's letting go and breaking down some of those myths, I think, is, is crucial to this conversation. Uh, it's not about hurt feelings. It's about moving forward, uh, being a better society and accepting some of these hard truths and hard facts. So I think we can all agree, or at least I'm going to agree in this conversation, that that's where <laughs> we're starting is from that point. So you didn't always, on Canada Project, didn't always believe in defunding the police, but you've since arrived at that conclusion. So what is it that brought you to that space? Yeah, I think um, as a South Asian woman, I've had uh, the privilege to be able to, you know, um, walk that sort of line as that quote unquote model minority of, you know, I don't face racism in the same way a black or indigenous person does. Um, so I think there was a privilege in that for a really long time. And like most Canadians, honestly, the brutal murder of George Floyd changed a lot of things for the way I saw the world. Um, and I think, and that's why I tell people like, it's not like you're, you're allowed to grow and understand your perspectives. Like you don't have to just have the same beliefs you did five years ago, three years ago, you know, like you're allowed to evolve as new information comes in. That deep understanding after that standstill moment during the pandemic of um, how deeply rooted anti-Black racism is and how Black advocates have been, you know, shouting about police brutality for so long, but it's just been going largely ignored by most people. Uh, it just made me realize that like, if I'm going to say Black Lives Matter, if I'm going to put up a Black square, I have to do the work. And part of that work involved this unlearning journey of understanding why are so many black activists calling for defunding the police? And the more I explored it, the more common sense, like it made so much sense. What we're basically saying is, doesn't everyone deserve to feel safe? Like that's really the end of it. Like the same rights and freedoms that are upheld for wealthy white people don't black and indigenous and other marginalized communities deserve to have those exact same rights. And I don't know how we how that there's a disagreement around this. Um, when you really look at it, all, all that's being said is, shouldn't we all feel safe and protected in our society? And then the next step of that being the only way to do that is to defund to abolish the police because the current police system is 
too ingrained in anti-Black racism for there to be any opportunity for reform. Like people have tried, it's just not going to work. Um, so we need to defund to abolish. And that's not on Canada Project saying that we hate police officers at all. Of course not. Like, it's just that they work within a system that is racist. So shouldn't we get rid of that one and pick one that upholds and values everyone equitably? I think I think that's a great point. But I, I think where most people struggle is they say, well, what does the world look like if we do that? Is it is it mayhem? Is it, you know, no law, no order, uh, anarchies? What does that look like? Such a great question. Yeah, I think the more research you do into this, the more it starts to become super clear. So our policing budgets are incredibly large. Uh, and this idea is, it's not to go from one day having a police system and tomorrow it's all gone. Like that's, that's ridiculous. We couldn't do that. But I think it's, you know, making a plan to defund, to abolish the police and taking the money that you're taking out of policing and investing it in public housing, investing it in mental health services, investing it in unarmed mediation, in our schools, in community development, in fighting poverty. You know, it's putting money back into the community, which we should do. We're such a rich nation. Why aren't we taking care of each other? Why is our immediate solution calling the police? Um, for issues of, that are not, you know, related to things that you would traditionally see the police call for on a TV show or something like that. Uh, so that's really the first step. And there are so many, you know, academics who have done the work of understanding how this process would look. There's a really great website that I love called 8toabolition.com that talks about eight steps to getting to a point where we've invested in the community um, and not in cops. And when you read through their literature, it's like really clear how to go from defunding to demilitarizing communities to removing police from schools. Why are police in schools? You know, to repealing laws that criminalize survival, right? Um, investing in community housing and safe housing in mental health resources. Like all of this just sounds like, it makes sense. It makes sense to me. Why would we call the police if someone's having a mental health episode? It doesn't make sense. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, I I hear you, and I think most people listening hear you, but there is an, an actual instinct, I think, you know, some people are going to listen to this, especially those who, who work in this area are going to feel personally attacked. And it's getting the conversation from that air space of we're not attacking you. Mm -hmm. We're looking at systemically as a whole. You're still going to have a job. Right. There's Absolutely. just it's just shifting the role to other things that are probably, let's be honest, safer for police as well. It's not about defunding the police and abolishing the police. And then all of a sudden everybody's out of a job. Like part of that is providing a just transition for officers to give them new jobs and, you know, new things that align with their values and what they want to be doing. Um, maybe that's continuing to support communities. Maybe it's something different altogether. But that would be part of the process. It's not meant to just be like, okay, goodbye, that's it. That'd be so rude. I don't <laughs> think that's the intent of what's being done. And I think for people that are police officers or have loved ones that are police officers or have had the privilege of safely calling the police, that safety that they feel with police, don't they think everyone deserves it? And I think when we come, we go back to that point of like, shouldn't everyone feel safe? And the only way to ensure that would happen is by changing the existing system. 
it's not about that individual family member that's a cop or you're, you know, it's about a larger, bigger picture here. I think that's the critical thing in this conversation that we have to remember and why sometimes the temperature can get so so high with this is that people take it as a personal affront and it's really about looking at the system holistically and which is why I love everything you're doing with On Canada Project on practically every conversation you're having. You're just uh, so compassionate and so open to having these conversations. I love it. I really want people to be able to connect with you and follow along and continue with this conversation. So where's the best place to do that? So the best way to, way, place to see our content is on Instagram uh, at, at on Canada Project. Particularly around this topic, you can find under our guides. So it's like one of the tabs. Um, you'll see like a, a whole guide dedicated to this issue. Um, and you can also check us out on oncanadaproject.ca, but Instagram's the best space to really see our content and join us in our our personal unlearning journeys too. Like we're doing it alongside people. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining me, Samantha. You always bring such great knowledge to the conversation. Thanks so much for having me. All you're ever gonna be is mean. Why you gotta be so mean? More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. My next guest specializes in education and global development and is a visiting professor at McGill University. Dr. Prachi Srivastava also joined What She Said last year to take a closer look at education leading up to Ontario's provincial election. Now that the government has been decided and school is opening up, she's joining me now for a quick look at what Ontario parents can expect this school year. Welcome back, Prachi. Hi, Candice. It's great to be back. Let's just start with the news from yesterday. How are you feeling about that? I mean, I think it's uh, very uh, surprising and shocking for most of us, and I'm sure for parents and teachers and school staff to hear that uh, even if a child or staff is COVID positive, that they're not required to isolate um, for five days, which is really the bare minimum. I think that causes a lot of uh, confusion. It's going to cause fear. And if the vaccine uptake is not very high. And if there is no mandate for masks, which there isn't, um, you know, this can lead to further disruption. So I think that is really rather worrying in terms of, you know, uh, not being able to feel maybe secure in, in the fact that we've already had the longest school closures in Canada, as we know, we've already had the longest in uh, Europe and North America. So you'd want to see some kind of secure security uh, some measures there. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see, obviously. I mean, it's, it seems to be out of our hands at this point, but it will be interesting to see how this affects uh, staff at school and obviously student attendance as well. Uh, interesting play by the Ford government. Uh, what else uh, do you think parents can expect to see this fall? I think, you know, one of the main issues for most, uh, you know, parents going in is really thinking about how to support uh, the education, educational experience coming up. But, you know, that is very much related to making sure that schools stay open. I, I don't think we're going to see 
uh, as we have in the past, I don't think we're going to see a policy from the provincial government to say uh, that there will be mass closures. I don't think we're going to see that as a policy measure uh, because I think there's some reticence in that. So I think the government will not make that as a decision. But I do think that there is a, a fear of de facto closure in schools if we don't see uh, the kinds of measures that we've discussed. So if there's a lot of staff that are sick or if there are lots of children that are sick, missing school can still be one of the issues. So, you know, that's a problem in terms of policy by design or policy by default. And here, I think the fact that we haven't seen really significant measures gives us uh, a potential for school closures by default. And the outcome of that is the same. So, you know, the outcome of school closures by default is going to be the same in terms of having more uh, children miss school and not having a real concerted plan in terms of what happens when there are, um, you know, closures or when there are children who are out of school for significant amounts of time. Is there a backup plan? You know, uh, it seems it seems to me that this was put in place and uh, was it laid out to parents what they can expect if schools do close, if kids have to be at home, uh, you know, if is there hybrid learning still? What's the plan? To the best of my knowledge, there are there, the option for parents to choose virtual learning is still there. Um, and but I know from some school boards that the uptake of virtual learning is, is very low. And I, and I can understand that because I think, you know, we know that in-person instruction really is the best for the vast majority of, of children. So that's there. Um, aside from that kind of cohort of students who might choose virtual learning for their entire year or for parts of the year, for disruption, I don't. I think it's going to be as it has been in the past, which is that you know schools will decide, teachers will decide how to support that. But you know this is now in a situation where you know it's one thing to have small disruptions; it, it's another thing to come into the school year with 28 weeks of disruption, which is what we've had, and not actually have had a very strong curricular program. So at no point have we seen real curricular reform throughout the system, as I've been saying for the last two years, that really what you want to see is a big overhaul of the curriculum to take into consideration that we've had 28 weeks of school closures. Um, and so that hasn't happened. So really what we're in is a situation where, you know, children who started, say, the pandemic, they were in grade two, they're going into grade five now, and there hasn't been a lot of um, you know, room in the curriculum as a, as a structured process to make sure that every child, every grade is actually accounted for in terms of the disruption that's already happened. And then to have this problem of, you know, school closure by default, that just accumulates. So it's a problem of accumulation. Yeah, I, I can only imagine uh, what parents are feeling, you know, as we head back to school as a, you know, sorry, as we've been in school for a week and what's to come uh, this fall, it's it's got to be extremely stressful for parents and teachers uh, to be at the mercy of, of this seemingly, I don't know what to say about it, but um, haphazard <laughs> back to school season. Yes. I, I've been calling it, you know, ad hoc policy making on the fly, you know, education policy making on the fly, because I don't know how else to describe it. It's certainly not a systems level approach with any real sustainability. All right. Well, you are always sharing great information. You're on top of uh, all of the latest data and stats you're always sharing. So where can people uh, keep, up, keep up with you, Prachi? 
So I'm on Twitter at Prachi Srivas, and I'm, I also have my university website. People are welcome to uh, take a look there. All right. We'll put that in the liner notes when this goes out to podcast. Thanks so much for joining me today, Prachi. Thank you, Candice. Lovely to be here. We are a few days into TIFF now, so Anne Brody is joining me for Saturday Night at the Movies and a little bit of an extra emphasis on TIFF films this week. Tell me, Anne, what can't we miss? Well, there's a wonderful David Bowie documentary called Moon Age Daydream, and you'll know that from a song title. Um, His estate gave filmmaker Brett Morgan five million assets. (laughs) And the film feels like every single one's in there. It is just so alive with visuals. He always presented himself as an artwork through his costuming and his characters. And I don't think anyone has really ever matched him in that regard. Um, He was a real innovator. And did you know he never owned a home until late life? He He lived in hotels around the world. He just didn't want a home. It's not strange. Oh, I was going to say, because it was clearly not a question of affordability. I oh, mean, no, I think no, David no. Bowie did quite well. So he just didn't want one. He didn't want a home. He didn't believe in the idea. And then everything changed. I, get, I don't think this is uh, giving anything away when he met Iman and um, he fell in love. And he said he suddenly saw the world through rose-tinged glasses. And they bought, they had homes. They bought homes everywhere. So that was just kind of a striking note for this. Uh, So, yes, so it's on at TIFF. Also at TIFF is something called I Like Movies, a Canadian film by Chander uh, Levick. Now, it's based on his experiences working at Blockbuster in Brampton. Um, And this is where it's shot. And it shows you how crippling almost passion about film can be for a young person because they they don't socialize properly they don't um necessarily relate to family and friends and very little chance at at making a love connection and this guy kind of sums it up so it's it's interesting besides the story itself is just you know any obsession could be ruinous he's not a ruined person but he could be (laughs) So that's pretty interesting. It's a comedy, and he's he's pretty sarcastic. And blockbuster that's a that's a throwback anyway. So he's got to be a little bit o- older. Yes, yeah. It's set in in the eighties. They call it sequels, but they're wearing the little outfits that they used to wear. It's hilarious, and to see these kids working together um, behind the scenes and late at night is really fun, really insightful. Uh, there's another film called This Place, um, uh, written by Devery Jacobs. She's an up-and-coming young uh, star, amazing woman. So she plays um, a woman who is uh, separated from her mother, falls in love with another woman who's uh, Tamil. And the two of them, uh, Devery plays a Mohawk woman, the two of them don't consider themselves Canadians because of the uh, colonization and... Uh, genocide against their um, uh, backgrounds. So it's watching these two at an age where they're realizing who they are and coming to terms with things. Really fantastic. I liked it a lot. That's called This Place. When you sent me the trailers this week, I was drawn to Ever Deadly. 
well, that's the amazing Tanya Tekak. Uh, she's an Inuit throat singer. Um, and I've seen bits and pieces of her. I've never seen a full concert, but this is basically a full concert plus a tour of the really remote place she lives up in the Northwest Territories. Uh, stunning. And, you know, she's she's pro-seal hunt. And, of course, she is because this is how her people have eaten for years and years. There are no stores up there. They have to kill animals. They have to kill seals, fish, whatever they can find. She's really a compelling person, but her her stage performance, just breathtaking. Wow. Uh, so Ever Deadly talks about um, the threat that is posed on people who try to live in the North. Obviously, her people have succeeded for thousands of years, but it's always Ever Deadly. So it's quite an amazing film. All right. I, I want to move on uh, off of TIFF for a minute and let's talk about Reservation Dogs Season 2. Yes, that's coming on on uh, Disney Plus September 7th and three Podemski sisters are in it. Tamara, Sarah, and um, oh, Jennifer. So it's it's full of Canadians. It's shot down in the States, but it's mostly Canadian actors like Gary Farmer and whatnot. And it's back to the res where the kids are trying to grow up and and be who they are and in a, a world that straddles white culture and indigenous and indigenous reservation culture and it's so funny i mean the language is blue but it's it's just funny and it's sweet and it's so beautifully written um so that's something to watch out for oh it's shot in okmulgee oklahoma <laughs> middle of nowhere I thought it was somewhere in Calgary, but there you go. <laughs> All right, excellent. And so, you know, and with the return of TIFF, uh, does it feel like a return to normal for you or, or are we still kind of struggling to get there? I think it's early for some people, but people I know who are um, definitely going, they're having problems getting tickets. So I think the computer system's kind of messed up at the moment. Uh, so, you know, keep at it, people. You'll be back. You'll be back. All right. And there are plenty of parties going on and all of that. So we'll see. Excellent. And you'll be back next week because you never fail to be here. So we'll see you next week, Anne, uh, with more Saturday Night at the Movies. Thanks for joining me. We'll see you then. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 1059 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 1059 The Region. Denise Chand and Jennifer John have been joining What She Said monthly since January of 2022 to help women move out of the ruts they might find themselves in. Today's conversation, though, might be my favorite so far because it's about something I try very hard to do, and that is to live agelessly. Joining me now is Denise Chand, who has what you might need to truly find the fountain of youth. Welcome back, Denise. It's great to be back. This is such a timely conversation, given everything that has happened with Lisa Laflamme on CTV. And there's been a lot of conversation about ageism and where women fit into things after a certain age. 
Um, this is just great. So I'm so excited to have to, to be having this conversation. So let's start with, you know, um, the whole shifting our beliefs about what it means to be over 40, over 50, over 60. Well, you know, uh, Candice, this, this is a very, it's a very um, sensitive topic and it's something with me where it's like, I'm, you know, I'm in that group. I'm in my fifties. I have friends, family, co-workers are all hitting their fifties. And as they're coming up to that age or they're getting a little bit over, I don't know what to call it. Like, it's just, I can't even like verbalize it. That label of um, middle age, midlife crisis, absolutely invalid. I just think it is time now to remove that because we are healthier, we are living longer. And I think what we should call it is just, you know, like living agelessly. We have to live agelessly. And it's when you get to that point, whether you're a 50, I personally think what it is, is it's a time to exhale. Exhale from the pressures of when you were younger and you have to get married, you have to do this, you have to look a certain way, da 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 da. But and during these times of coming up to 50 and over or even 40, whatever it is, you have so much wisdom now. You're, you're, you the knowledge, you're armed with knowledge, you're wiser. And it's all about shifting the mindset and not allowing society, culture, family, whatever it is, to put that onto us, that label onto us. I, I agree a hundred percent. And I think, you know, I, what drives me crazy is how we, we try to pigeonhole people, you know, uh, in, into groups uh, and we judge, there's still so much judgment at this age uh, on things like Botox. I don't care if you get Botox, good for you. If that's, if that makes you happy, go for it. Exactly. It's the mindset that is really the biggest thing that I think we have, you know, what drives me crazy is when people say, oh, I'm, I'm too old now, or, you know, I've passed my best, my best before date. I just, I hate that because there's so much power in this age. There is so much. And you said exactly. I love that. There's so much power in this age and going forward, oh, 50, 60, 70. However, like I said, we're living longer. And it is a mindset. It's a lie that every belief, everybody's believing that that's being told. Oh, you're, you're getting older. You can't do this. You're like, put, you're put on the shelf, you know, go ahead, go away, disappear, go to the back. Now you no longer matter. And as if the world does, um, that the world right now only is for the young. But no, we're all ageless. We live ageless. It's no such thing as as these speeches we that we're telling ourselves these false narrative. We're saying I'm too old. I can't do this. I can't. I can't. I can't. It's impossible. Who says it's impossible? Who said you can? Who says that you're? Oh, why are we believing the lie? That's exactly what it is. And it is about changing our mindset. That's what it's about. This fits in perfectly to what you've been saying all along through the whole year, through almost every conversation we've had, is about the sabotaging. We sabotage our own happiness when we believe lies that we're being told by the media, by other people, instead of trusting in what are, what's in our hearts. Exactly. And it is everything that we have been on this journey since um, January with you about self-sabotage. And the technique that we've been teaching, it is to be applied to this right now. And again, it goes back to, we have to silence the lies. We have to silence the voice. Who says you're too old? Who says you can't do this? Yeah, exactly. If you want to get 
you know, if you want to wear your hair gray and let the gray hair show, do it. <laughs> do it if you want. And, you know, I remember a couple of years ago, I went to some work event and they're all women in their like over 40s and 50s. And they're talking about, oh, when you reach 40 or 50, you can't wear this. You can't wear that. You should not wear eyeliner on at the bottom of your eyes. You should only just wear a liner on top. You should not wear dark lipstick because when you're at this age, do not show your knees. Do, and I'm still neglected. Limitations. Yeah. Who said you can't wear a skirt above your knee? And who said you cannot wear your makeup? Who says you cannot wear eyeliner and top top and bottom? Who says you cannot have dark, like dark colored lipstick? Where are people believing this narrative? And why are they believing it? Where is it coming from? Why are they believing it? I think my most favorite meme, my most favorite meme out on the internet right now is the one that says, you know, uh, forty things a woman over forty shouldn't wear. And it says one through 40, the weight of other people's expectations. And that is so on point because what, no matter what you do, somebody's going to judge you. If you, you know, try to fight the wrinkles, somebody's going to judge you. If you don't try to fight the wrinkles, somebody's going to judge you. So let it all go. Just live. It is. And you live ageously. You have to let go of um, public opinion and what people say and live agelessly it's, it's time to you know it's you're never too old if you're if you're if you're single and you're in your 40s 50s 60s you're never too old to find love and if you're in love you know deepen that love with, with your you know your soulmate whoever you're with your beloved try something new it's you do new things adventures everything their opportunity are endless there's no such thing as saying you can't do this, you can't do that. Obviously, obviously, if there's like, you know, some sort of a health, you know, condition you have, but we're just going with what society is saying, oh, you're too old to do this. You can't do this. I can't do that. No, live anxiously. Breathe, exhale, exhale and just live life and just shift your mindset and look and stop listening to what society is saying, culture, family, friends, all that stuff. And just be you and live your best life ever, ever. That's how you live your life, agelessly. Yeah. And we get to this point and we just, like, again, I just want to hammer home this point. You get older, you acquire all this wonderful wisdom and knowledge and confidence in yourself. Why would you let anybody else take that away from you uh, when you've worked so hard to earn it? Um, so you have a 21 day challenge that you've been running all year. And I'm going to assume uh, that, you know, shifting your mindset about living agelessly is something that you would cover in this group. Yes. Yeah, so if you go, well, they can go onto our website, um, the hyphen sacred space, um, sacred space coaching.com. And when you get there, there's our web, you'll see the, uh, the Facebook link to get on there. And it's a 21 day challenge and it is going to incorporate living agelessly and helping you to shift your mindset and stop believing the lie. That is where we start. Stop believing the lie and just changing our perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, people think their life's over at 50. You, you have 30 more years easily. I mean, think about that from if you were just born 
you would think 30 years was so long, but somehow when we get to 50, we think it's so short. So it's just a mindset shift of, of embracing the time that you have. It is. It is a mindset um, shift. And also what it is, is of course, it's really hard to, it'll be really hard to, to break that belief system, the doubt, everything that is, we've been taught for from me, as you said, from childhood right up to where we are. So when you're this age, you turn 50, you can't do this, you can't do that. You do, you know, it's, it's like it's the end of life. It's not the end of life. It is not. It is the beginning. And how I look at it, like I said earlier, it is a time to exhale. It's like, I'm free from pressure. I'm free from being, you know, all this stuff. And I gained so much wisdom. I am now armed with knowledge. And now I'm going to see the world and live ageously. And the world is, you know, it's, it's a canvas. Just paint, just paint, be you. Yeah, I love that. I love this message. And I'm so glad that you brought this, uh, this topic forward today. It's just perfect uh, with everything that's been happening recently. So uh, thank you so much. Uh, I will tell everybody they can go to the Sacred Space 21 Day Challenge on Facebook, just enter that into your search bar. You will find the group to join. Uh, otherwise, though, you can go to the website and the social channels for Denise and Jennifer, which are always in the podcast liners after we upload this when it airs on radio. So thank you so much for joining me today, Denise. Thank you. me can open doors for people of all ages. My next guest is on a mission to connect children and families with authors and illustrators and the worlds they create through Telling Tales, a festival and online destination that delivers outstanding literary programming for children and youth. Joining me now to discuss is Susan Jasper, Executive Director and Founder of Telling Tales. Welcome to What She Said, Susan. Thank you, Candace. Thank you for having me. What prompted you to start telling tales? Well, I had worked in publishing for several years and was um, specializing in children's publishing. Uh, and it dawned on me, we had so many wonderful Canadian authors. I was with McClellan and Stewart at the time, and they, I kept thinking, they need their own festival, and it needs to be a festival outside of Toronto. Um, and then I joined Rotary, and Rotary have a deep commitment to literacy as a way to tackle poverty and, and deal with um, just leveling the playing field. And uh, it was remarkable. I just had a hunch that Rotary would, would really back this initiative. And the whole community just got on side and said, let's make it happen from the libraries to the school boards all the way through. So it's been a bit of a dream come true. <laughs> So in a world that's filled with screens and computers, books are super important, but also it's important to remember that they remain one of the things that's truly accessible, right? Absolutely. And uh, that's been such a part of our message and a reason we're such strong partners with the Hamilton Public Library, because it is the most rich experience you could have. And yet you can go off to a library and, and not spend a penny 
and uh, um, experience these books. So it's truly, truly one of the most accessible types of entertainment. Well, and, and you hit a key point there of, of, you know, affordable for people, especially right now, uh, considering how expensive everything is. It's one of a uh, library card is is free, I believe, in everywhere. Is it not? I believe it's completely free. Yes. <laughs> and yeah, uh, I, I was going to say, I don't think it, it's been a while since I've been to a public library. But <laughs> as far as I'm, I last time I checked, it was still free. <laughs> it's absolutely free. And all of our programming is free as well. No, it's it's really important that we reach out. Tell me about the festival, though. Thank you. Uh, t- Telling Tales is a, a year-round programming, but the real highlight is when we hit our signature festival, which is coming up September 24th and 25th. And that will be um, take place at the Royal Botanical Gardens in Burlington. So if you happen to be in the Hamilton-Halton area, fantastic. And that's a day where we celebrate stories in all forms. So we're bringing in Canada's top leading authors, illustrators, storytellers, and musicians. And uh, you can discover, it's all about discovering new voices. And, and uh, there's a um, autographing tent that's so popular and uh, literary characters. You might meet uh, some traditional characters like Alice in Wonderland or Harry Potter there. Book swap, uh, just just Every, just uh, and workshops as well. So it's just a day to where the whole community gets together and uh, and talks about you know the, the joy of reading, celebrates the joy of reading and and why it's so important. Now, some of my listeners probably may, uh, can't make it to uh, Hamilton for the festival, but that doesn't mean they can't participate uh, in the other things you offer. So tellingtales.org, you have a reading list. How do you curate that list? Is that you? We have, uh, again, um, a selection committee that's chaired by the youth services at Hamilton Public Library, uh, a number of teachers and, and experts in the field. So we work by committee. And our, we're very close with our partners, the Canadian Children's Book Center as well, and, and look to them for what, you know, the award winning, um, cutting edge, uh, titles that have, that have been released for the year. And it's important to us that it's be a very diverse, uh, program that is really, really exploring all of the cultures in this, this country. So. Um, it's been, parents can, and educators trust it because it's been so, uh, beautifully curated by this committee. Amazing. I, uh, want people to be able to find you, keep up, uh, obviously attend the festival if they can, but if they cannot, uh, keep up with everything you're doing. So could you just one more time, please share the website and any social channels you might have that people can follow along with? Tellingtales.org. And we're also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Incredible. Susan, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Candace. More with Candace Sampson and what she said coming up on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to What She Said with Candace Sampson on 105.9 The Region. Hey 
Victoria is a R&B pop soul sensation that has the music industry sitting up and paying attention. The artist entrepreneur has released her new single, Visions, When I Think of You, to rave reviews. When I Think of You was produced by award-winning Canadian music producer Derek Brin and is a heartfelt musical single inspired by the emotion of love. Kay Victoria joins me now to share the inspiration behind the song. Welcome to What She Said. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So tell me, what was it a person? Was it a series of events that inspired this song? It's just a vibe, you know, a positive vibe. That's it, pretty much. Just good energy. And, you know, I put it into a song the best way I could. Love inspired it, of course, that too. So it's a little bit of everything. And when did you write this song? Um, Last year. Uh, I developed it more. It was something that I had an idea of it from a couple years back. And so then I said, let me put it into an actual song and made it into a record rather than just like a concept. And what's next for you now? I mean, I realized that there's a long time between writing and producing your song, releasing it. You're probably already, you know, miles ahead into the next project, right? Well, I'm just so excited to be working with a Canadian producer right now. Um, I'm in Toronto. Actually, now I'm going to be performing at the Hollywood North Gala and the Young Filmmakers Ball this week. So it's a lot of exciting things going on. I'm really excited for this new style of music and the people I'm working with and, you know, connecting with my Canadian family. And will you continue touring now when you're done with Toronto? Yeah, you know, I will definitely continue to perform. I do plan on being back in the city soon enough. So if you just stay up with me on my Instagram at IMKVictoria, you should be able to get a little, you know, insight onto what's going on. I I share with my peeps, so. <laughs> All right. Okay, and do you mind do you mind sharing your social channels? Is this, is it IMKVictoria on social as well? On Instagram, K Victoria Music on Facebook. And um, those are like primarily the ones I'm using now. But you can also visit my website at www.imkvictoria.com. So yeah, that's how you can reach me. Amazing. Okay, we're going to listen to When I Think of You right now from K Victoria. When I think of you, when I think of you, when I think of you, 
That's it for What She Said this week. Stay up to date with our newsletter by signing up at whatshesaidtalk.com and be sure to follow on social at What She Said Talk on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for videos of these interviews and more. You can also catch me on TikTok at Candace Said. Finally, be sure to subscribe to What She Said with Candace Sampson on Apple and Spotify to catch past episodes and extended podcasts. I'll be back next week with another What She Said on 105.9 The Region. Previous episodes of What She Said on 1059theregion.com. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all had. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.